Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. I'm your host, Sarah Avery. Today, the search for a new kind of devotional music. Zach Fredman is a musician, composer, and rabbinical student now in his fifth year at the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York City. He's also the creator of something called the Epichorus, a group of musicians who want to use music to express religious devotion and find the established musical canon too constraining for one reason or another. Zach writes the music for Epichorus, and he draws on influences as disparate as Sudanese master Hamza Eldin and Aretha Franklin. Now, the Epichorus has put out their first album. It's called One Bead, and it features Zach on Oud, and also includes special guest Alsara, a young Muslim Sudanese singer who lives in Brooklyn. Today, we're with Zach and Alsara in Zach's apartment in Harlem. I'm here to talk with them about the music and about this very unusual partnership. Zach, Alsara, thank you so much for speaking with us. I'm really excited to be here. Yes, me too. Zach, maybe you can tell us what is the Epichorus and why is it called that? The Epichorus is um, an amalgam of musicians. The word comes from uh, an ancient word in the Talmud, uh, often used to mean uh, heretics or outsiders. Um, I chose that name because I've constantly felt in that place, you know, on the edge, both being a little bit too outside for the insiders and a little bit too inside for the outsiders. And sometimes being an epichorus can be a little bit lonely. So to try and make, you know, a group that could could say something. What are you looking for in making devotional music? And how does the music that you create differ from the devotional music that is already out there? Well, for me, um, the music was very much the center of what I wanted to do in the rabbinate in that I think people have often so much trouble tapping into the space that music sometimes provide access to people much easier. You know, we're looking for the same thing. We're looking to tap into the infinite, to tap into, you know, big feelings, whether they be of truth or of love or, or whatever. And, you know, religion sometimes has trouble doing that where music, you know, wherever it's being made, provides people with that feeling very quickly. So for me, it's like we're going to be doing these services on Friday night and Saturday. Let's fill them with music so that that's what becomes what draws people in. You know, and then you go and you go to synagogue and you hear what the sounds are filled with. And it's incredibly boring sometimes. You know, it's a lot of dirge and a lot of simplistic uh, material. And as a musician and someone with a wide interest in world music and sacred music, it was like, why aren't we bringing these things in? You know, the folk cultures are the bearers of these ancient spirits in the same way that religion is, you know, the holder of that in in words, you know. So why aren't we tapping into that? Why aren't we using these ancient rhythms and ancient melodies as the base for the music that we're creating in the synagogue. Well, how does a Muslim singer from the Sudan fit into this picture? Way before this album um, and the project even came together, I was already hearing much of the finished, you know, sound in my head. And I heard Alsara before I met her, before I knew she existed, before before any of that, I, I heard her. Um, Hamzel Dean, as you said, uh, he's one of the you know fathers of Sudanese music, and he's a master oud player. So if you're an oud player, you must know Hamzel Dean. 
And he's got a couple records where he has these really, really amazing vocalists singing with him, and it's got a particular color of the voice. Um, and I was putting this project together, and I was asking everybody, hey, you know anyone you know, from North Africa? Do you know singers? You know? And I didn't have much luck. It was three in the morning one night, and I was perusing YouTube, and this band pops up. It's Alsara and the Nubatones, and I took one look at the video and knew right away that you know this was a person that I was so excited to work with. So I shot Alsara an email, and uh, the rest is history. And Alsara, what was your reaction to this email? You know, I was really surprised at first. I actually ignored it for a day or two. I was just like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> I didn't understand why he wanted me to sing it. I was just like, there's plenty of other singers that are very comfortable singing in Hebrew. I'd never done it before. But I've always been fascinated by the intersection of spirituality and non, non-religious behavior in general, like human life is what I call it, you know, the intersection of the spiritual world and the human world, even though I don't think that they're separate, but religion tends to separate them. So when I meet people who are trying to connect these things again, especially through music, it speaks to me. And I sense that in in Zach, even through the email, I could sense something there. So I was like, why don't we meet for coffee and talk? For two reasons. One, I wanted to make sure he wasn't crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And two, I just wanted to just talk to him more about it. And what was going to be like a 20-minute a conversation turned into like this two-hour hangout until like Starbucks shut down, <laughs> where we were just talking and connecting over just the way we view life in general. Let's listen to one of the songs on the album. Uh, the one I'd like us to hear is Shalona Vosh. I wonder what you can tell us about it before we, we listen to a little bit of it. Sure. Well, Alsara's featured singing, so you'll get to hear her. Um, the the lyrics come from the the blessings after one eats, you know, um, the grace after meals. And Shir Yaakov, who is a dear friend and you know a constant collaborator, he did the lyric arrangement for this one. And and Shir is you know very special. He's got a very um, dedicated commitment to daily prayer. So he always has texts in him. You know, he's always got words running through his heads and. The way we worked was that, you know, I would sit sit down with an oud and start to trickle out a melody and he would, you know, start to put words on it and we would meet when we found the place in the middle. We knew that the song was in the right place. Let's listen.
talk a little bit about some of your musical influences when it comes to uh, creating devotional music? Sure. I mean, it was really a weaving together of really um, unknown stuff that people don't know about, you know, Hamza Aldean and Kyra Arbi and Umu Sangare and stuff that people know really well. You know, uh, uh, Aretha Franklin has some really amazing gospel recordings in the church when she was very, very young, 15, 16, and her voice has a really different quality, and the energy that's created there is amazing, and then I think I spent a year and a half where I only listened to the dead, you know, it was the dead straight (laughs) for a year. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And particularly their ability to, you know, have extended songs, you know, when you have songs that go on for 8, 10, 12, 15, 20 minutes, it allows for a sinking in that was absolutely a goal for me as a creator of ritual. You know, I wanted to give people that ability to sink in and let's not sing a song for three minutes. Let's find a melody that we can work out over the course of 15, 20 minutes so that at the end of it, you know, you really go, ah. Alsara, what about you? What is your musical background, your training, and also the particular influences on you as an artist? Well, I I was a... I call myself an immigrant kid. I grew up moving my whole life. So I um, I was born in Sudan, and um, my mom always had really eclectic taste in the house. So I grew up listening to Sudanese traditional music and Joan Baez and Fayrouz from Lebanon. My mom's always had a very well-rounded collection. Um, and then when I was about seven or eight, we moved to Yemen for a few years. And there I was listening to a lot of Yemeni traditional music, some women's music, and a lot. And there, interestingly enough, I started really getting into um, collecting tapes. And being an outsider, being an immigrant in general, just makes you fascinated by otherness, just the concept of otherness. So that's I carried that into my adulthood and into my art. And when we moved to the States, I actually attended a performing arts high school. So I, that's really where I started just sinking into world, into music in general. And there was a world music choir there. So I started by singing, um, like when I was singing, singing, I started by singing Balkan music <laughs> in high school. Balkan music and traditional music from Appalachian Mountains in the States and from different places. Then I studied ethnomusicology at, in school at Wesleyan University. There's where I began to really like hone in on East Africa, go back to where I was from. And right now... I have a band called the Nubatones, and we do what I like to think of as um, soul music from East Africa. So especially from the from South Egypt, North Sudan, um, that region in general, there's a lot a genre of music from there called the Songs of Return um, that a lot of Nubians started writing in the 60s after the High Dam was built. And the Songs of Return are all about um, being an immigrant and being displaced from your home um, and what that creates to your identity when you know that there is no home to return to, full stop. What, what does that do to a, to, a, to a culture, to a soul, to art? Um, so to me, I feel like that's kind of what draws, for me, my music is influenced by that. You have a song in Arabic on the album that is just totally beautiful. I love it. It's called Nana El Janina. Mm-hmm. Also, maybe you can tell us a little bit about it, and then we'll have a listen. Um, Nana al-Janina means the mint garden. It's a traditional uh, folk song from the Nubian community in Egypt, uh, usually sung at weddings. It's a very, very sexy song, um, which a lot of people don't really realize about the traditional songs of East Africa in general, North Africa, you know, Egypt and Sudan and all these. A lot of the women's music especially is very sexual, like explicitly so. Um, and Zach fell in love with this song, and he was, it was, who, was it, was it Joseph who played it for you the first time? 
we were sitting here in the kitchen after one rehearsal, and Yosef played him. He's like, oh, you have to listen to this song. And they were listening to it. I was like, oh, Nana, Janine, I know that song. And then he was like, Zach was like, we have to do it. We have to do it. I was just like, I mean, I get. why do you want it? And Zach's like, because it is absolutely my favorite song. <laughs> I was like, you just heard it. He's like, exactly, and I know. It's my favorite song. <laughs> I was like, all right. And he brought up some really great points about it. It was just like, it had a lot of hints of some of the texts that he really liked from the Song of Songs, where something that's, where this, the sensuality is not disconnected from the spirituality of it, where like you feel the physical pleasure and the spiritual pleasure are connected. And so this is a love song, you know, this woman who's being courted by this man or by whoever, and, you know, wandering the mint gardens and the mint gardens of love. Clearly, you too, Zach and Elsara, you share a lot in terms of your approach to music and your passion for music. But you come from, it seems like, very different places, religiously, ethnically, and I imagine in other less obvious respects. Did you have any heated arguments or tensions or conflicts along the way in this collaboration? I think uh, there was some big learning that happened for me and we, I don't think we had any blow-ups. I think we had some really interesting discussions that I hadn't had before. As we explored this project, particularly because I, you know, I've studied Arabic music for the last few years intensely, and I just don't experience things as inside-outside like that. So to me, for Alsara as a Muslim woman to be singing, you know, stuff that's, you know, part of, you know, Torah, it didn't... Um, it didn't give me any ringers. It didn't give me any buzzes. You know, I, I was so excited for her to be singing this music because I wanted her sound. You know, it was about the sound we were creating. As we explored this project, um, I heard a lot of stories about musicians navigating their way around politics. Um, musicians who, you know, have amazing relationships with other people, regardless of who they are, what they are, what defines them. And yet, 
the political landscape sometimes really inhibits them from working together. You know, um, Arab musicians, for this or that reason, can't play with this Jewish musician, or this Israeli musician can't play with this musician, purely related to, you know, outsiders, political outsiders, who are setting the landscape for the artists. And I, I found this to be, you know, both disheartening and invigorating. For me, it was a real road into oh, this is a sector of politics that I could want to be involved in and want to make change in. Did people actually challenge you two, though, on this collaboration then? I mean, I'm just wondering if uh, some of this was your own personal experience where people said to you, you know, hey, Alsara, what are you doing singing with this Jewish group that is making Jewish devotional music? Or people said to you, Zach, what's up with the Muslim singer in your band? Well, um, I'm used to controversy. (laughs) (laughs) And I kind of... I knew this was going to be a controversial project, and it's not. It hasn't gotten nearly as controversial as I think it's going to get once it's really publicized and out there. But already, um, I had some flack from some people who were like, "You're working with Jews and Israelis, and blah 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 blah. You're never going to be able to go home again." Just a lot of resistance to the very concept of it. Which to me, though, that is that that to me is positive thing. To me, when people when people are afraid and they are challenging you and not challenging, confronting you really about about a choice that you're making because they feel threatened by it, that means you're making a very powerful choice. So I was raised not to be afraid of controversy just because my parents are activists. And to me, I actually entered into the world of art via politics. I didn't want to be an activist anymore because I didn't want to deal with politics. I didn't like this yelling back and forth and I was more interested in micro change you know, I, I, want, I want to affect one person at a time and make you feel different at the end of a song or at the end of whatever. And to me, these kinds of projects, these are political artistic statements you make, even if the words aren't any one way, the presence of the musicians on stage together creates a statement within itself. It's a political statement within itself. We're going to listen to one more song. It's called Haviani. And what can you tell us about it? This one is the... I guess the lullaby or the or the slowest song on the album and and it's particularly sweet. It comes from the opening verses of Song of Songs and and it says the king has brought me into his chambers and we will rejoice and he kisses me with the kisses of his mouth and the Hebrew is particularly uh, sweet and I cut and pasted it a bit to f- make it function as a chant. And then, just for some studio fun, we took a, a thumb piano. It's like a little um, kalimba, it's called. And to get a really kind of sweet sound, we stuck it inside uh, an upright, a grand piano, and we held down the sustain pedal, and we played it in there, and it gave this really eerie kind of ring that's hidden over the track. So if you, if you listen closely for it, you'll you'll hear some mystery.
and Alsara, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Yes, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having us here. Zach Fredman and Alsara are two of 10 musicians in the group Epichorus. Their album is called One Bead. For more information, you can visit our website, tabletmag.com. As always, we would love to hear your feedback on our podcast. Post a comment on our site or send us an email directly at podcast at tabletmag.com. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm your host, Sarah Avery. We thank you so much for joining us, and we sure hope you'll join us again next time.